0: Sports Radio Network. Radio, Network. Radio Network. Let's go, Network. let's go! Broadcasting from coast to coast. City to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's, it's happening in, sports, in sports. sports, it's being talked about right here. right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey.
1: Good Thursday morning. Welcome on in to the Ryan Hickey Show. Where else? Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We are back, baby. I'm not dead. It was a very hectic and crazy July last few weeks here. Whether it was hosting on CBS Sports Radio, whether it was taking a nice little vacation over to Ireland, seeing the mother country. Uh, For the last week and a half or so, it has been a a whirlwind, very busy month, but it is very, very exciting to be back talking sports with you here, right here. Where else? But the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We'll detail a lot of um, experiences I had in Ireland for 10 days. Went to Kinsale, went to Galway, went to Dublin. It was an absolutely tremendous, fascinating, uh, beautiful trip to see Europe and see Ireland for the first time in my life. So we'll give you some interesting thoughts. Um. Uh, from what I was uh, able to uh, experience the last 10 days or so. But of course, we are loaded with a lot of sports information. So as always, we're coming to you live from the Big Italy Pizzeria studios. And whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal news, make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. All right. Jimmy Garoppolo, the news came yesterday from Adam Schefter. That he is allowed to request or allowed to seek a trade away from the 49ers this offseason. Here's the thing. Jimmy Garoppolo is not getting traded. And he really shouldn't want to get traded. The best thing for Jimmy Garoppolo's career, or his goal is to be a starter in the NFL. I think the best way for him to accomplish that is by staying in San Francisco for this season. few reasons why. Let's start with number one. Jimmy Garoppolo needs to create a market for himself. Jimmy Garoppolo needs to have NFL teams want him. And right now, the biggest thing with Jimmy Garoppolo, the narrative that surrounds his career is this. You can win with Jimmy G, hence the 49ers. We've seen them have a lot of success in terms of the win column. But you can't win because of Jimmy G. And that's the problem. Because right now, teams in the NFL, when they are searching for a quarterback, they want to be able to get a quarterback that they can win because of said quarterback. You cannot say that right now with Jimmy Garoppolo that the 49ers have had all their success, whether it's going to the Super Bowl back in 2019 or whether it's going to the NFC title game this past year. You cannot say that success was primarily because of number 10 in uh, in San Francisco. So teams don't want a quarterback that is kind of along for the ride. That's what Jimmy G has been. Fair or not, Jimmy G has been along for the ride more times than not in San Francisco. So you think, well now the question is, how can Jimmy G get teams interested and force teams to want him? Well, I think the best way for that is by staying in San Francisco, and here's why. If he stays in San Francisco, he's obviously going to be the backup to Trey Lance. This is Trey Lance's team. Whether Jimmy G G is there or not, this now is the future for number five. So if you stay in San Francisco for your G, I like to call him G for short, Jimmy G, you back up Trey Lance. What if Trey Lance gets hurt? What if Trey Lance struggles? I'm a believer in Trey Lance. I think he's going to be a very good quarterback in the NFL. But the one thing we can all agree on, whether you're a believer or not, is that we truly have no idea what this guy is going to be. We've seen him play one game in two years at North Dakota State. He didn't play you know, he played two games last year, one okay start, one pretty uh concerning start with San Francisco last year. So there's a very small sample size of what Troy Lance can be and what he has learned so far and how his growth has been in the NFL. So this is to me a top five roster in the NFL the 49ers have outside of quarterback. Running back, offensive line, receiver, defense. This to me is a top five roster in the NFL. So expectations, even with, we'll call him a rookie quarterback, even though I know he's there last year, are significant. But this is the highest expectations a first-time starting quarterback will have in a long time. Even Patrick Holmes, no one really knew when he was starting for the Chiefs back in 2018 what he could become. So there weren't high expectations for a Chiefs team that even though it's a new quarterback did you know make the playoffs with Alex Smith the year before. So, if, if Trey Lance struggles, where year one is up and down and this team is in a weak NFC, still somehow in the playoff picture, does anyone is anyone going to really truly sit here and say, oh, no way Kyle Shanahan is going to make a move? No way Kyle Shanahan is not going to say, you know what, screw the future. We are worried about only the present right now and Jimmy G gives us the best chance to make the playoffs and we're going to go for the playoffs this season. Like, even though I'm a Trey Lance believer, I could see absolutely situation where Trey Lance is up and down. It's a little bit of a rocky start, very inconsistent, more bad than good. But the 49ers are still in the playoff spot because the NFC is so weak. I could see Kyle Shannon making a move. And if you're Jimmy Garoppolo, how you have the rest of the NFL want you is by kind of playing the hero role. Coming in, if Trey Lance is struggling, end of the season, to save the day and get the 49ers to the playoffs. The narrative right now about Jimmy G is that even though he has had, again, two NFC title game appearances and a Super Bowl appearance, he could win with Jimmy G, not because of Jimmy G. If he comes in for a struggling or injured Trey Lance and saves the day, gets this team to the playoffs, I think he does at least flip that narrative for a few teams, enough for them to garner some interest say, you know what, 2023, yeah, We feel good about Jimmy G being our starting quarterback. So I think the only way for Jimmy G to have teams want him is by flipping the narrative. And the only way to do that is by coming in to be the hero and save the season. I think for me, the only way you are truly portrayed as a hero is if you stay in San Francisco and get the 49ers to the playoffs if Trey Lance struggles. I know it's a big if. I know it's a big risk if Trey Lance could come in and kill it. But I don't think you're going anywhere else and playing that hero role in the NFL this season. That's one reason why I think Jimmy G should stay in San Francisco. Another reason there's really no one that wants him, right? We we discussed it before. Jimmy G's main motivation in wanting a trade is to be a starter in the NFL this season for 2022. The problem with that goal, Jimmy, is that there is literally not you know virtually literally zero market for his services. Let's go back a few weeks ago. Remember, when Baker Mayfield was on the market, only who? The Panthers and the Seahawks were the only two teams interested when you compare Baker Mayfield to Jimmy Garoppolo. Those are the only two teams interested in what was a cheaper, younger, I think better option in Baker Mayfield versus Jimmy G. So now, with one of those two teams that were interested in in Baker Mayfield off the market, one of those two teams interested in a quarterback, I should say, off the market in Carolina with getting Baker Mayfield, you're truly telling me there's going to be a more robust market. There's going to be more, interested, uh, more interest for Jimmy G's services when he is older, more expensive, and more banged up than Baker Mayfield was. So if you have two teams interested in a younger, better version than Baker Mayfield, how are you going to tell me, how are you going to sell me there's going to be more teams interested in a more expensive, older, and more injury-prone quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo. It's not going to happen. So, I'll ask you, where is he going? Right now, where is he going where he is going to be the starter for said team? Nowhere. The only hope for Jimmy Garoppolo, really, in terms of being a starter, is rooting for Deshaun Watson to get suspended for a full season. That's it. That is his only hope of being a starter this year in the NFL, is Watson getting suspended for a full season. And I don't think the Browns would go with Jacoby Brissett for a full year. Anything less than that, whether it's, you know, now you're seeing reports that most likely could be two games, eight games, we have no idea. I think he's still going to be suspended for a year. But if those reports are true and it's a half a season or less, I think the Browns will roll with Brissett. That's the reason why they brought him in the first place. They're anticipating some sort of suspension. I don't think they'd trade for Jimmy G. If Deshaun Watson is coming back at some point this year, so if you're Jimmy G, you want to be a starter. There's no starter jobs out there. Like literally every job is taken. So barring an unforeseen injury to some starting quarterback, which I know that's always said but rarely happens, there's just no room at the end for Jimmy G. So you can want to trade, you could try to seek a trade. I don't think your trade is coming. I don't think a trade is coming. So I, that's why I think sticking in San Francisco for one more year than becoming a free agent after this season it's not the worst thing in the world for Jimmy G in part because there's nowhere else for him to go. So there's no market for Jimmy G. I think the best way for him to create a market is for, to force teams to want him. I think for me the best way to force teams to want him is by coming in late in the year being a hero and kind of saving the 49ers season. Which I think those are the reasons why Jimmy G should stay in San Francisco. Also, Look, how about redemption, right? We all love a redemption story. And it's no secret that Jimmy G needs to build his stock up as a quarterback. I do think one of the ways you are able to build your stock up is by being a good teammate. And the way to be a good teammate this year is by staying in San Francisco, mentoring Trey Lance, being a good backup, being a good resource, and having those kind of good you know, good vibes, if you will, that praise from Trey Lance and Kyle Shannon and John Lynch throughout the year, I think would make teams interested in pursuing a Jimmy G trade. Like I think if you are able to demonstrate your leadership ability, and that is by taking a back seat, putting the team first, and saying, you know what, Trey, this is your team. I am here to do whatever it takes to make sure you are the most prepared possible each and every week. I think teams will notice that. And I think teams or could sell it to their fans. Or I think whether it's a head coach sell it to his GM, GM sell it to the owner. I think teams will be able to sell themselves on signing Jimmy G and have him be the starter next year in 2023 if you see how good of a teammate he is this year. So I know it's small. I know it's you know not one of the big characteristics we look for, right? We look for wins and arm strength and you know passer rating and touchdown passes. I get leadership and being a good teammate is not at the top of a checklist when it comes to finding a franchise quarterback, but it's important. And for Jimmy G, you don't have many options for this season. I think any win you can get is good for your stock moving forward, and I think he can get a big stock up by being a good teammate, putting the team first, and preparing Trey Lance to be the best possible quarterback uh, that he can. There's another reason why I think. Sticking in San Francisco is the best thing for Jimmy Garoppolo. And finally, the last and final reason why Jimmy Garoppolo shouldn't want to get traded this offseason. There's a backup quarterback renaissance right now in the NFL. Like, if you look at it, the backup quarterback position has been a recent pipeline to starting jobs in the NFL. Look at starters this year who were backups last year. Mitch Trubisky. Back up to Josh Allen in Buffalo. There's been rave reviews about Mitch Trubisky uh, last year in Buffalo. They loved him in Buffalo. Guess what? Now he's a starter in Pittsburgh. James Winston, after five years in Tampa Bay, through 30 interceptions, his last year, the only quarterback that's in the 30 for 30 club, through 30 interceptions in 2019, he goes to New Orleans, backs up Drew Brees for a year. In 2020, then gets that starting job in 2021. Now back in New Orleans for a second time in 2022. Marcus Mariota, back a quarterback for uh, Derek Carr in Las Vegas. Was praised. Did some nice things in the, in the wildcat formation, if you will, when he was put on the field. And guess what? I know that the Falcons are tanky. You can talk about that all you want. He is the Falcons' starting quarterback in 2022. Ryan Tannehill, traded from Miami. To, the, to be the backup in Tennessee to Marcus Mariota back in 2019. Mariota struggles halfway through the year. He's benched. Ryan Tannehill comes in, doesn't look back, holds the job. So we have seen now a recent trend where quarterbacks or are backups are getting more looks and more opportunities to be the starter. Used to be, once you're the backup, you're stuck there forever. It's one of those things where you're a starter and you're a starter, or you're a backup and you're kind of never going to shed that backup tag no matter where you go and you're going to bounce around the league. We have seen a recent pipeline of quarterbacks be backups in the NFL that either start a year later on that same team or go elsewhere and start for someone else. Trubisky, Jameis, Mariota, Tannehill. I think Jimmy G could do the same thing. I think he could be the latest version of being a backup at San Francisco in 2022 and getting that starting opportunity somewhere else in 2023. So when you add it all up, When you look at Jimmy Garoppolo's situation right now in San Francisco, he should not want to trade out of San Fran. He should want to stay there and be, I think for me, the best avenue, the best path, the best path for Jimmy Garoppolo to be a starter in 2023 is this, is by sticking in San Francisco, being the backup, being a good teammate to Trey Lance. Possibly if Trey Lance falters or struggles, swooping in and being the hero to save the 49er season. There's no real market for him anywhere. So it's not like teams are banging down the door to get Jimmy G. There's been a recent backup pipeline from backup quarterback to NFL quarter, uh, to starting quarterback in the NFL. And I think demonstrating about being a good teammate will go, you know, make... Uh, waves and be a really good thing for Jimmy Garoppolo's career. So I'm curious your thoughts here. Worldwide Sports Generic on Facebook. You could tweet me at WWSRN underscore radio or at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter. Should Jimmy Garoppolo want to stay in San Francisco? Is the best path for Jimmy Garoppolo to becoming a starting quarterback in the NFL again? Is actually sticking in San Francisco, being a backup for the 49ers and Traylons this year? Sounds counterintuitive. Kind of But that's the best path forward for Jimmy G next season. We'll get your thoughts here on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Run Network, on Twitter, at Ryan Hickey Show, or on YouTube, Worldwide Sports Run Network. When we return, the ACC, it was a bad, bad day for the ACC because there's one common theme that came from that conference yesterday. We'll tell you what what that theme was and why it was a bad day for the ACC when we return. It's the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the worldwide sports radio network it, it, it's
0: the Sports radio network. Radio, network. radio network Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio
1: Network Ryan Hickey with you right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network All right yesterday was a very bad day for the ACC conference because there's really one theme that came out of the first uh, day of ACC media days, and that is this, delusion. That was the theme of the day on Wednesday for the ACC conference coming off the ACC kickoff, delusion. We'll start with two clips I want to play here to explain why. Number one, Pitt head coach Pat Narduzzi. He was on yesterday. The Bazzi's Black and Gold Banter Podcast. Now he's due to speak at ACC Media Days today. He's on the podcast yesterday. They were reliving the Peach Bowl loss to Michigan State. Here's Pat Narduzzi discussing Michigan State as an opponent in that Peach Bowl game. Uh, you know, that was one of the best Big, big Ten teams
0: last year. Then, you know, let's go to the Big Ten to win it every year, okay? So, I want to hear about this Big Ten dominance and SEC dominance.
1: So, there's Pat Narduzzi, again, on the Bazzy's Black and Gold Banter Podcast, basically saying that that Michigan State team, if they were one of the best teams that Big Ten has to offer, we are going to go to the Big Ten and we should join the Big Ten and kick their ass every single year and win the Big Ten Championship every single year. Look, that quote, I think, to me, just encapsulates and truly is an essence of why Pat Narduzzi is by far, by far, the most delusional head coach in college football. And there is a lot of coaches up for that running, right? That's an award that is highly contested. But Pat Narduzzi, congratulations. You, sir, are the most delusional head coach in college football. And you know what really bothers me from that quote? I'll tell you this. What really kind of irks at me, because we all know it's complete, uh, complete lunacy to think that way. But the thing that bothers me the most about that quote is the false sense of accomplishment that Pat Narduzzi has in kind of the way he's carrying himself. Look, Pitt had a great year last year. They went 11-3. They made a New Year's Six Bowl. You had your quarterback, Kenny Pickett, become a Heisman finalist last year. It was a banner year for Pitt, one of the best years they've had in two decades. But if you're parading around, bragging about going 11-3 after what was six years before that, of okay football under Pat Narduzzi at Pitt, I'm sorry, you're a loser. Like, if you were holding on in your seven-year tenure as head coach at Pitt, you are now holding on still to one 11-win season where you lost the New Year's Six Bowl. That, to me, shows that, you know, that is a loser mentality. Look, I'm not saying you can't celebrate. You should be able to celebrate a great season, and it was a great season last year. Don't don't, Don't get me wrong. But it's July 21st. Yesterday, he spoke, it was July 20th. That game was December 30th. We are seven months removed from that Peach Bowl game and seven months removed from your 11-win season. It's over. Time to turn the page, man. You got to be focusing on 2022 and making sure as best you can that that 2021 season was not just everything breaking your way and kind of one... One great year, but you can't really, you know, build off of that. We've seen plenty of college football teams have one great season. Everything breaks their way. One player gets super hot. In this case, Kenny Pickett carries you, you know, carries you to, you know, 11 wins. The rest of the conference is down. A.K.A. Clemson was down. And you capitalized off that. Congratulations. You did something no one else in the ACC was able to do last year. Capitalize on a down Clemson year. But now, still seven months removed from that great season, you're still playing the woulda, shoulda, coulda. Oh, if only you know, Kenny Pickett played. If only we, you know, weren't down to our third-string quarterback, we would have smoked them and we would have beat the crap out of them. And man, we would have been Peach Bowl champs. The fact you're still playing the woulda, shoulda, coulda game over a Peach Bowl loss seven months later is pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic. This is who Pat Narduzzi is. You may say I'm biased. I'm a Penn State alum. I'm a Penn State fan. So um, there's an in-state rivalry, uh, rivalry between Pitt and Penn State. But here's why I think like I'm non-biased in this discussion. I have experienced Pat Narduzzi. I have got for four years in a row from 2016 to 2019. Hear this clown each and every week leading up to the Penn State-Pitt game. Hear this clown Basically, embarrassed himself on the program by making it a Super Bowl in week two or week three. Each and every week, each and every time a shit today played, only Pat Narduzzi in the week leading up to the game was able to talk. Penn State, just like most schools, make their players available for media availability and make their head coach available. Pat Narduzzi did this week, sorry, no players. I'm the only one talking. And guess what? What did that get you, Pat? You beat Penn State once, congratulations. Other two times, you got your butt whipped, and another game is closer, but Penn State still won that game. The guy's an absolute clown. He really is. Think about it. Pat Narduzzi is still talking about winning the Big Ten each and every year. Kicking the crap out of Michigan State despite the fact they lost the game. And oh, by the way, he went to talk like Kenny Pickett sitting out. Uh, look, I know quarterback is more important than running back, but the best running back last year in college football in um, Kenneth Walker didn't play either. But here is... Seven months later, Pat Narduzzi saying, ah, oh, man, we would have beat the crap out of Michigan State if we if we had Kenny Pickett playing. Oh, man, we're this great team. We're going to go in the Big Ten and win it every year. This is the first time in Pat Narduzzi's head coaching career that his team finished in the top 25. First time. And you really think now you're going to go to the Big Ten where, forget about Michigan State, you got to deal with Penn State, you got to deal with Michigan, you got to deal with Ohio State and win the conference every year. Okay. All right, buddy. Great. You cannot be saying that. You cannot be talking about beating the crap out of Michigan State, which you didn't. You could talk about beating and winning the Big Ten every single year, which you won't. But you can't do that after one good season. You can't have six years of middle-of-the-road football, one great year, and say all of a sudden, you know, I'm the best I ever dude. I'll go beat Ryan Day every single year. I'll go beat Jim Harbaugh every single year. You can't because you're not that coach. You need three or four years in a row of 10-plus wins, big-time wins over big opponents, to then finally start, you know, busting your chest out there and start strutting around with some confidence. One year where everything broke your way. Let's, not, let's call for what it is. In a very weak ACC, where the most dominant team in Clemson had a very bad year, everything broke your way to win the ACC. You can't now be all of a sudden start having this revisionist history and start trying to build up this Pitt, uh, Pitt team last year, and now we'll start, and start making declarations about how you know you could go and win the Big Ten easily. If that was the case, if Pitt was this big-time juggernaut up-and-coming program, I don't think Jordan Addison's leaving. I'm sorry. I think he's staying there. If Pitt is as good as Pat Narduzzi is claiming them to be, I don't think you're losing your the best receiver in college football to a USC team. I'm sorry. You're not. That should show you right then and there where Pitt is compared to where everyone else is. Pat Narduzzi, that is just, to me, just the essence of who he is. And that's why he's by far the most delusional coach in all of college football. But the delusion didn't stop there. No, no, no. That was actually the cap to the delusion for the ACC on Wednesday. The beginning of the delusion came from their commissioner in Jim Phillips. He kicked off ACC media days yesterday by making this proclamation, this big, bold statement on where the ACC ranks amongst the Power 5 program. it remains my belief there is no better conference in the country when you combine our incredible student-athletes world-class institutions broad-based sports offerings and our commitment to maximizing the educational and athletic opportunities for students okay so there you have Jimmy phillips and you got clowned for it rightfully so for declaring the acc is the best conference in college football all right, we can roll our eyes. I, I'm not even going to waste my time in debating why that is a foolish statement. And I get one other thing you're going to say. Well, Ryan, what else is he going to say? He's at ECC media days. Right now, everyone in realignment is, you know, everything's kind of crumbling around him. You got to inspire confidence. You got to, of course, be up there and say, we are the best. The ACC, it's us and then everyone else. I get that. You're not going to go there and say, well, yeah, the Big Ten way better. The SEC is way better. I mean, hell, maybe the Big 12, they could you know, soon pass us. I get it. So for Jim Phillips, you have really nothing other to say. But one thing that kind of inspired a thought from Jim Phillips proclaiming the ACC is the best conference uh, in, in sports is this. We're not going to waste our time talking about the top. The ACC, though, I think one thing that we should really kind of dig into is this. The ACC is one down Clemson year away from being at the bottom of the Power 5 conferences. Like if Clemson, right, they had, we'll say a down year, right, in terms of national title um, relevance, competition. If they continue to lose momentum, if they have another season where they can't figure it out, and Clemson's an 8, 9, even 10 win team, but there's really, they're nowhere near the college football playoff picture. The ACC as a whole then, as a conference, they're on the same level as the Pac-12 right now. The ACC is one down year, uh, one down Clemson year away from being right equal with the Pac-12. I mean, no one really is talking about it, but the ACC and the Pac-12 on the field are a hell of a lot closer to each other than really people even notice. And honestly, who nationally, who do you fear, who do you respect Outside of Clemson, the answer is no one. What's been the narrative around Clemson since their rise to prominence? Really starting, let's say, in 2015 when they had Deshaun Watson and they made it to the national title game and losing Alabama. From 2015 to 2021, what has been part of the narrative around uh, Clemson football? They're a really good team, and they have zero competition in the AFC, Uh, in the AFC, in the ACC. They have a cakewalk to the college football plath every single year because that schedule, that conference around them stinks. The ACC is not a very good conference, folks. The ACC is not a deep powerhouse football conference right now in today's day and age. It's not. The only reason the ACC is not bashed the way we bash the Pac-12 each and every year is because of Clemson. It's because Clemson masks the other 13 teams or 14 teams count Notre Dame, but are not very good. That stink. When you make the college roll playoff life every year, you can ride Clemson's momentum and claim it for your own. And if that goes away, that's why if Clemson has another down year, you look at the ACC really quickly and there is not a lot to be excited about. You quickly realize that conference is exposed right now being dreadful there's hope. You hope Mario Cristobal could turn the Miami around, right? Every single year, it's what? Oh, the U is back. The U is back. The U hasn't been back in 20 years. So I'm sorry. I'm a believer in Cristobal. I think he's the right fit for that program. But I've gotten to a point with Miami like I'm at right now with Texas. I am done buying in the hype. I am done believing in them. I got to see it first. So right now, Cristobal has his work cut out for him. I'm not declaring Miami back any which way until they actually are back and win big-time games and not just have one year of 11 wins. We're talking about sustained dominance. They've not done that in two decades. Florida State, right now, can't get out of their own way. Mike Novell is the latest head coach that's not getting the most out of of the Seminoles team. So there's some powerful brands in the ACC, some bigger names in that conference than the Pac-12. But on the play... Performance-wise, wins and losses, they are one Clemson down year away from being on the same and equal footing. There's no death in the ACC. It's Clemson and everyone else. The Pac-12, they're relying mostly on Oregon. Utah has been kind of carrying the banner for the last few years. Otherwise, it's been a lot of teams in the middle beating each other up. That is exactly what the ACC is. If you look at the ACC, if we take away Clemson, right, you look at the rest of the conference overall. Since Clemson's rise to prominence back in 2015, so from 2015 to 2021, it's been seven football seasons. Right? 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. I I should have known seven seasons, just to make sure. 16 teams, not including Clemson, have finished the season at the end of the year in the top 25. That's an average of two teams. So on average, two ACC teams outside of Clemson are finishing the final rankings in the top 25 each and every year. If you look at the Pac-12, the Pac-12, the beleaguered league, the one that gets bashed, the, the pinata, if you will, for the rest of the conferences in the Power Five, they've had, in that same span, 18 teams finish in the top 25 at the end of the year. So basically, they have been the same. The Pac-12 and the ACC have been one in the same. The only difference is Clemson's dominance has masked the other awful play from around the ACC. So let's not forget. Forget about being at the top of the Power Five. Forget about Jim Phillips proclaiming the ACC is the best conference in sports. The ACC this year is one down Clemson season away for being at the bottom of the barrel in the Power Five. No one really talks about it. No one really recognizes it. We give Clemson their, their due and deservedly so. The rest of the conference has sucked. No better way to say it. They have sucked. And if we're going to get on the Pac-12 for kind of being a mess and having all these teams on similar ground and no one really kind of having national dominance, we got to do the same exact thing then for the Pac-12. Oh, for the ACC. You can't bash the Pac-12 and not do the same for the ACC. So that's why if you're the ACC, if you're Jim Phillips, if you're any other head coach uh, in that conference, you better pray to God, Dabo Sweeney, DJ Ui, Ungalale, bounce back and make the college world playoff. Because if not, there's no one else that's a, a college world playoff contender this year in that conference. And you are quickly going to be exposed in a time where realignment is happening right now and teams want the most attractive schools possible. There is not a lot keeping the ACC together or incentivizing that league to stay together when it's pretty crappy schools playing pretty uh, pretty crappy schools. The ACC and the Pac-12 a lot closer together than people want to realize. So when we return here on the Ryan Hickey Show, James Harden, Took a pay cut. We finally have the numbers So what James Harden will be paid the next two years in Philly. We'll give you that, and we'll discuss: does him taking a pay cut actually mean anything for the Sixers going forward? We'll discuss that when we return to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio
0: Network. Sports Radio Network. <laughs> Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network,
1: and hey, welcome back in Ryan Hickey with you right here. Where else? The Worldwide Sports Radio Network. All right, so we officially got some numbers for James Harden's pay cut that he took in Philly. Right, it was a reported a uh, few weeks ago from Woj that he will stick in Philly and take a, a pay cut. And now we know just about sixty million million over two years. Uh, James Harden will get paid. He'll get $33 million this season, which is less than the $47 million play option he had and could have exercised to get himself, you know, what is that? $14 million extra this season, which basically took what is a $14 million pay cut this year to allow the Sixers to, to add a few other pieces around the team and make the overall team better. Now I think there's a, a a positive and a negative when it comes to this James Harden contract. Let's start the positive. I gotta give him some credit. To James Harden's credit, he put his money where his mouth is in terms of talking about his commitment to winning. Right, he's talked about trying to win a championship. He's talked about now you know worrying less about his numbers and worrying more about getting a ring, and getting that title. To his credit, he finally put those words into actions by taking less money in order to free up more flexibility for the Sixers to add players. They're able to sign P.J. Tucker to a contract in part for the money that James Harden forfeited. So, at least from a tangible perspective, we have finally seen James Harden actually truly committed to winning a championship. Now, with that said, but the good part out of the way, I don't think it really matters much for the Sixers' championship hopes this upcoming season. They're not winning a title whether James Harden is getting $47 million or $33 million if he is still their second best player on the team, which he is. Because guess what? Even with that pay cut, even with his quote-unquote commitment to winning, it's not going to change his play on the court. And specifically, it's not going to change his play in the postseason where they really need him. Unless Tyrese Maxey takes a massive leap here um, this season, and truly becomes, without a doubt, the second best player on the Sixers is the go-to, and James Harden can kind of fall back to that role he had with the Nets, where he was more a facilitator for KD and Kyrie, where that was truly where he was at his best. The Sixers can't win a title when James Harden is still your second best player, and you still need reliable scoring from the beard. I'm sorry, just right now, his play is nowhere near championship caliber. His shot has fallen off. He becomes way more inefficient, especially the last year, uh, even the last half a year in Philly. He's too slow. He's a defensive liability. The rules have been changed by the NBA to limit his flopping and cut down on his free throw attempts. So everything he used to do really well at an insanely high level, his handles, his footwork, his step back, his shooting, his ability to draw fouls, they all have been reduced either by rules or or by his body declining. So you can't tell me, you can't sell me, that James Harden being the second best player on the Sixers, even though he's getting a pay cut, even though he is now, at least for the first time, showing he is quote-unquote committed to winning, you can't sell me that this is still a championship team in Philly. Yes, with that pay cut, you're able to sign P.J. Tucker. Yes, you're able to add Daniel House as well, to add some much-needed depth, especially uh, on the wing perimeter. But is P.J. Tucker, is House taking you really to that next level? Is James Harden unlocking a part of his game that we haven't seen in the last few years? The answer is no. No. So Philly is no different today than where they were at the end of the year when James Harden's future is up in the air. Him taking $14 million less well, it does allow Philly to add a few extra players on the roster. doesn't allow Philly to address their biggest need, which is someone reliable behind Embiid. That is what this team has desperately needed. That is what they've been missing, and that's what they've been searching for. Ben Simmons didn't work out. To me, James Harden is not the answer either. Philly, their biggest need. So, To get from where they are right now, which is a playoff team, to so get to a championship team, they need that second piece. They need that 1-8 to Embiid to be able, if he's hurt, which he's been every single year for the most part, if he's getting double and triple teamed, which he does in the playoffs routinely, they need someone else to take the pressure off of them and to carry the team when Embiid is struggling and or hurt. And right now, they still, to this day, do not have that player on their roster. And with that still massive hole there, I can't sit here and say I believe in Philly. No, I can't. And I won't. Six, uh, the Celtics, still a way better team. Bucks, still a way better team. Philly has a lot of work to do still. So you get to a championship level capacity. And James Harden taking a pay cut. Well, again, admiral for James Harden. And finally, for the first time in his career, I think actually making a tangible um difference. And finally putting his words to action, saying he wants to win a title. I commend him for that. It's a lot easier said than done saying, I want to win a championship. Taking a pick at least one area to show that. But still, the facts are the facts. James Horn is not getting any better. Taking less money does not mean he's going to get better overnight. He's not getting any younger. He's not getting any faster. He's not getting any healthier. And those problems in the playoffs still linger and still persist. Sure, he had one really nice game. In Game 3 or 4, I believe it was, against the Heat, we scored 30 points. Great game. What did he do right after that? Nothing. Disappeared. Stunk. That's not changing. That, who, that is truly who James Harden is. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. So even though it's taking a pay cut, I don't really see the Sixers any differently today than they did at the end of the season. They, to me, are still a playoff team. That's it. You can win an opening round. Not much more than that. They still need that second piece. They still need that one A to Embiid. They've been searching for it. They've been trying, unable to find it. I still don't think they have it right now with the way this team is currently constructed. So, props to James Harden. Don't think it changes much. Changes much when it comes to championship expectations for the Sixers this season. So, I'm curious your thoughts here. Are you a believer in James Harden? Is him taking a pay cut? Putting his money where his mouth is enough for you to believe this is a different James Harden and this is a James Harden you can believe come playoff time will come through and will help elevate Philly. Are the Sixers a championship contender next year in your mind? Love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Right Network. You can tweet me at Ryan Hickey Show. That's Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter or on YouTube with their Worldwide Sports Radio Network. So last 10 days, I was in Ireland. Part of the reason why we had no Ryan Hickey show last week was across the pond at the motherland visiting for the first time, at least where my dad's uh, side of the family, where uh, our nationality, where our Irish roots come from. And it was amazing. If you've never been, I could not suggest it more. The place is clearly extremely green because all it does is rain all year round. But it was beautiful. The town of Galway was amazing. We got into Kinsale, a small little town uh, on the southwest side of Uh, of the country absolutely beautiful dublin was very cool as well although dublin is very dublin felt a lot of new york city um so that was definitely a little less ideal than i was hoping for because you go you know you want to experience culture and i thought we got that in the first two cities with some cool irish bands with some you know beautiful architecture with everything there from the 1600s and the 1500s you see some of the castles that are still enacted we did the blarney stone of course had to kiss the stone for good luck But the castles are are beautiful. It's amazing how, that was one of the things that struck me, is that because, obviously, people lived in Ireland and Europe way longer than they lived in America, the castles that were built in, you know, the 1100s and the 1200s and the 1300s that are still standing this day, the architecture, the attention to detail, it's impressive, it's mind-blowing. How you're able to enact such high castles with such little technology. Like the margin for error is so thin when you're working just with, you know, pen and paper, if you will, and trying to scratch out stone from, you know, grinding one stone against another. It was impressive. It was amazing. It was breathtaking. The one thing that I thought was very ironic, though, was that you go to Dublin and you think, or you go to Ireland, I should say, in general, you think, you know what? We're going to experience a lot of Irish culture. Every single bar is not going to be like a bar you go to here in the States because they'll play Irish music. And one very small town outside of Galway in Doolin had a, a very nice, you know, traditional Irish band where they had, you know, fiddle. They had a drum. They had some Irish bagpipes. You know, they had what you would think when you would picture Irish music being. Most of the live bands on the bars we went to, they were American. Like, like they were from Ireland, but they were playing all Irish music. There was one bar I we went to where they played we didn't start the fire by Billy Joel. They played where the kids of America. And they started by coming on stage saying, we are a band where if you heard the song, we probably won't play. We go deep tracks only. Then they started Fleetwood Mac dreams. So it's very funny that, you know, at least of the, a lot of the Irish bands that were a lot of the live music we saw, they played a lot of country roads. They love Garth Brooks. And they love American music. Britney Spears was played on, on the radio stations a ton. So it was on the radio when we are driving the car, where there's at bars listening to live bands. American music is everywhere. And I'll be honest, I didn't, didn't expect that whatsoever. It was going to be Irish music from the day we get there to the day we leave. traditional Irish music, traditional Irish instruments. And that was actually more in the minority than it was in the majority. That was something definitely not expecting, but still... A lot of fun. Tremendous trip. Again, could not recommend it more. Check out Ireland if you have not been there. When we return here on the Ryan Hickey Show, Jimmy G yesterday was granted access by the 49ers to seek out a trade. What team? There's one specific team that I think should absolutely make the call to acquire Jimmy G. I'll tell you who that team is when we return this into. Ryan Hickey right here on the worldwide sports radio network it,
0: it, the World Wide sports radio network. Radio, network. radio network welcome back to the Ryan Hickey show right here on the worldwide sports radio network
1: Alright, we are finally back here. I apologize for the technical difficulties going on this morning. I don't know if it's the rust, not doing the show in a few weeks, and all of a sudden the computer forgets to do the show. I don't know if it's the heat. It's going to be in the 90s today in New York City, which personally I love. The hotter, the better. I'm a summer guy myself, so crank it on up. Almost a combination of the both, but at least right now we are back on the air with you right here, and thank you for bearing with us as we push through some of these uh, technical difficulties for at least another hour until 11 a.m. Eastern. But all right, Jimmy G, let's talk about his future, right? He was allowed by the 49ers yesterday to seek a trade, uh, to try to find a trade partner. The market is very, very thin for Jimmy G. I think there's one team, though, that it makes the most sense that you call the 49ers and orchestrate a trade for Grappolo. It's the Saints, the New Orleans Saints absolutely should be the one team. I think it's the only team that it makes the most sense for Jimmy Garoppolo uh, to get traded to. Because let me let me say this, right? Look at the Saints this year. They have Alvin Kamara. Michael Thomas is back. You hope healthy. You hope motivated. You add Chris Olave. You have a really good offensive line, a really good defense as well, and a very weak NFC conference where you have the Rams, you have the Bucks, you have the Packers. And really, it's kind of a to wide open after that. So this is a team that has playoff expectations, has a playoff caliber roster. If you're a Saints fan, let me ask you this: are you really feeling confident with Jameis Winston as your starting quarterback this year, especially when there's no Sean Payton? I know Pete Carmichael is back, right? He is the same offense coordinator this year than you know, he was with Jameis last year. But without Sean Payton there kind of orchestrating the offense. Scripting plays, scripting formations, scripting game plans around Jameis Winston's strengths. Does anyone feel confident that Jameis Winston is going to be good enough to carry this team to the playoffs to zero? I don't. I don't. Last year, I think we saw Jameis Winston, although it was 14 touchdowns, 3 picks in 7 games, right? he did a, an adequate job and he definitely cut down on his biggest weakness, which was turnovers. Jameis Winston last year was not asked to do a lot. Jameis Winston was basically kind of hid by Sean Payton, where he was thrown for like 180, 200 yards a game, not asked to make a ton of big throws or deep throws. He was basically asked by Sean Payton, don't screw it up. Don't lose us the game. So now with Sean Payton out of the picture, are you really going to feel confident, and are you really going to feel good about your team Going into this year with, a, or with an offense that's loaded with talent and asking your quarterback, please don't lose us this game. Please, Jameis, don't throw four picks like you did in Tampa. That's not how you win games. By praying to God that your quarterback is not going to screw it up. Look, I get Jimmy Garoppolo is not much better. right? I get Jimmy Garoppolo. There's the same complaints about Jimmy G that there are about Jameis Winston. And you make the argument, 49ers, for all their success the last three years, a lot of it was not because of Jimmy G. He was just along for the ride. But at least when you bring in a competent quarterback who knows where to go with the ball, who knows, you know, to make the right play, who doesn't turn it over a ton. I think you would feel a whole hell of a lot better if you're a Saints fan going to this year with Jimmy G as your starter for one year compared to Jameis Winston. Look, I get the Saints are kind of strapped with, with at the cap. They about $8 million free and Jimmy Garoppolo's owed $26 million. But it's gonna to have to be the same thing the Browns do with Baker. There's gonna to have to be a massive pay cut. Jimmy G's probably gonna to have to forfeit some salary if he wants to get traded. And there's gonna to have to be some, you know, finagling here by both the 49ers and whatever team trades for him in order to make Jimmy G work under the cap. I think the most logical and sensible landing spot for Jimmy Garoppolo from the 49ers or from Jimmy G's perspective and the acquiring team's perspective, it's New Orleans. Bring him in for one year. Jameis Winston's on a short contract anyway, so it's not like you're, you know, you're tied long term to Jameis Winston. Do what you gotta do to make the playoffs this year. If you're Dennis Allen, after your disastrous tenure in Oakland as head coach of the Raiders, you have built your reputation back up as being one of the best defensive coordinators in the NFL. Now being the head coach taking over Sean Payton, you want to get off to the best start possible in order to quiet any doubts that would be coming and saying, uh oh. Looks like it's Raiders 2.0 with Dennis Allen. It might be a one and done. You want to get off to the best start possible. And how you get off to that right start is by having a quarterback you at least can trust that could take this team to the playoffs. I think you could feel good about that and confident with uh, with, with Jimmy Garoppolo compared to Jameis Winston. This is a playoff caliber team. Right now with Jameis Winston there in New Orleans that's begging their quarterback, don't screw it up for us. That is not a recipe for success. And I don't feel great about New Orleans being uh, able to execute that when one of the best offensive minds in Sean Payton is not in the building anymore. Get Jimmy G. The price is going to be dirt cheap. Like if you got a conditional, if the Browns received a conditional fifth round pick from Carolina for Baker Mayfield, who is a cheaper, younger, better option than Jimmy G. We're talking about maybe a conditional sixth for Jimmy Garoppolo. Having to eat some salad. The 49ers probably have to eat some salary in order to make it work. This absolutely, you know, for an acquisition cost, I think makes a lot of sense for New Orleans. Even if Jameis wins and beats him out, okay, fine. You have a backup plan against, again uh, in case Jameis gets hurt. Andy Dalton is not, you know, a backup quarterback. I feel like you feel very confident in if Jameis is either ineffective or hurt. So with a talented and you know playoff caliber roster already built in New Orleans, you want to get the most out of that possible. I think for me, the way to do so is by trading for Jimmy G. But there's a few other teams, three other teams I want to head into uh, or get into I think absolutely would make sense to trade for Jimmy G. Now, he's not going to like a lot of these for Jimmy Grapple's perspective. But I think it makes sense for the team to acquire Jimmy G. When I say Jimmy G is not going to like some of the teams I have suggested, it's because Jimmy G wants to be a starter. That's his goal. That's why he wants out of San Francisco. He wants to go to a place where he can start. I think he could start in New Orleans. I think he also could start in Cleveland. That's only for me if Deshaun Watson is suspended for a full year. Look, let's not forget. The Browns traded for Jacoby Brissett knowing and anticipating some sort of suspension is coming down the pike. So this is all of a sudden not a, a shock to Cleveland that, oh my God, we could be without Deshaun Watson for X number of games this year. They got percent for that exact reason. To play for whether it's two, four, six, eight, ten games, whatever the suspension is going to be, they got him in there for that. So if it's a full year suspension, which I don't think Cleveland was anticipating, and I don't think many of us even anticipated, you know, up until a month ago, if it's a full year suspension, then I think all of a sudden Jimmy G to the Browns is something that's real and it's going to happen. Anything short of a year, if we're talking eight games, six games. I think Cleveland's just going to roll with percent. You traded for him, you signed him, you're giving him 4.6 mil, run him out there for half the year, and then bring Deshaun Watson back uh, when he's done with the suspension. I don't think they'll trade for Jimmy G. I don't. But two of the teams I think absolutely could be in the running and should call the 49ers to make a trade offer for Jimmy G. One of them is the Chargers. Look, if you're LA, I get it. You have Justin Herbert there. Uh, You're not going to have Jimmy G be the starter. But I think it makes a lot of sense for the Chargers going all in on this year to have a backup plan in case, in case Justin Herbert gets hurt. Like Right now, the backup is Chase Daniel, who's made a hell of a career for himself, getting paycheck after paycheck for holding the clipboard. You do not want Chase Daniel down the stretch of the year playing games that mean something if Justin Herbert is banged up or can't play. I think Jimmy Garoppolo will be a tremendous backup plan for just this year. When you go all in, right? you, you you get J.C. Jackson, you trade for Khalil Mack, you have Justin Herbert, you fell so short of the playoffs last year. I think for the Chargers, when they go all in like they have done this offseason, in order to make sure that we are at least, bare minimum, making the playoffs in a very tough AFC and a loaded AFC West, I don't think it hurts You kind of give yourself extra protection at the backup quarterback position just in case, just in case Justin Herbert gets hurt. For one year, I don't think it's the the worst thing possible. I think it actually makes a lot of sense because you never know what quarterback gets hit in the wrong way. And you don't want, you know, Chase Daniel playing games and starting games in December and January that means something. I'd rather have Jimmy G 30 times out of 30 over Chase Daniel. So I'd make the trade if I'm L.A. There's no threat to replacing Justin Herbert, clearly. Again, I told you Jimmy G wouldn't like this destination, but let's not forget, Jimmy G does not have a no trade clause. So the 49ers in fear, if they wanted to, could trade Jimmy G to the highest bidder possible. If that's LA, so be it. See you later, Jimmy. You're going to be a backup for 2022. I think that's a a move that would make a lot of sense for the Chargers and bringing uh, bringing in Jimmy G just in case. Just in case. Tragedy strikes and Herbert gets hurt and has to miss one game or the rest of the season. In that same vein, going on, I think the Bills should also make a call to Jimmy G and the 49ers. Again, backup Josh Allen. I know you have Case Keenan there. You just traded for him before, but would you rather have in case Josh Allen gets hurt, Case Keenan or Jimmy G? Jimmy G has at least gotten in the playoffs. You feel a whole hell of a lot better as Jimmy G, uh with Jimmy G as a backup. Then I think you would Case Keenum. So again, if you're Buffalo, where you go all in this year, this is supposed to be the year. The Buffalo Bills have the most pressure on them to get to the Super Bowl. And I get that pressure dissipates and evaporates if Josh Allen gets hurt, right? Because the whole hype around Buffalo is not just around the team, but around the quarterback. But you don't want to waste a year if Josh Allen gets hurt with a great roster and throw it away because Case Keenum is starting your games. Have a backup plan ready just in case Josh Allen gets hurt. He carries the ball. He absorbs big hits. So that he's a big dude. Right? He's bigger than a linebacker. He's like Andrew Luck out there. So I get, sure, most of the time, guys hitting him are smaller than he is. But just in case he falls the wrong way, gets hit in, you know in a vulnerable area, I think it makes a lot of sense for Buffalo, who has every other piece basically ready to go, every other position locked and loaded. I think it makes the most sense for Buffalo to call up Jimmy G call up San Francisco, make an offer and bring Jimmy G in as a backup. Have a just in case break glass if emergency option and Jimmy G ready to go when you're all in for the for the Super Bowl this season. Give yourself the best destination or best opportunity I should say to ensure even if disaster strikes, you are in a position to still win games and still win the ultimate prize, which is the Super Bowl. So, I'm curious your thoughts here. Jimmy G has been able and, and granted access to seek a trade. I think the team that makes the most sense for the team, uh, that for Jimmy G and the team acquiring him is the Saints. I don't trust Jameis Winston, especially without Sean Payton there. This is a playoff caliber roster. I feel a whole hell of a lot confident in the Saints making the playoffs if Jimmy G is a starter compared to Jameis Winston being the starter. So I think for me, the Saints make the most sense to acquire Jimmy G uh, in a trade. But if not, I think three of the teams should make the call. The Browns, the Chargers, and the Bills. All have them be the backup. All kind of emergency options if disaster strikes and their quarterback goes down. Still give yourself a chance with a loaded roster to compete and have success even if your starting quarterback is not there. So for me, that's the market for Jimmy G. The market for Jimmy G is this. Chargers, Browns, Bills, Saints. Those to me are the only four teams that should be interested. Those to me should be the only four teams calling San Francisco for uh, for uh, quarterback. And those should be one of the four teams that if a trade does go down, Jimmy G should go down. So I'm curious your thoughts here. Where should Jimmy G end up? Do the New Orleans Saints... Make the most sense for Jimmy Garoppolo. Take your thoughts on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, on Twitter, at Ryan Hickey Show, or on YouTube, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. When we return, baseball is at the all-star break. That wraps up today. We finally got, you know, baseball back, Yankees and Astros. But I want to take some time to reflect on the unofficial first half of the season in baseball. There's been a few surprise teams that have played well above their heads than people anticipated. Who could those teams be in the NFL? This year, we'll discuss some surprise teams when we return. to the Ryan Hickey Show right here. Where else? The Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's
0: it's, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
1: Hey, welcome back in. Ryan Hickey Show with you right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio. All right. So baseball's at its unofficial halfway point, right at the all-star break. And when you look back so far at the first half, there's been a few surprise teams that I think really kind of caught people off guard. At least I'll talk for me personally. And I'll be honest, I didn't see the Mariners being as good as they have been so far. They're 51-42. and 42. On right now, a red-hot 14-game winning streak. In baseball, and they hold a wild card spot. So right now, halfway through, they're a playoff team. The Baltimore Orioles at forty-six and forty-six. Not only are have already surpassed any sort of expectation this season, they also uh, either at five hundred or above five hundred this late in the year for the first time since twenty seventeen. So two teams halfway through the year that have I think surprised t- uh, people and surprised more and then been better than we anticipate. So when you look at now that surprising success in baseball, look forward to football. Let's start projecting. Who can be the Baltimore Orioles of the NFL? Who can be the Seattle Mariners of the NFL? And there's two teams that will be a lot better than we anticipate this upcoming season. The Jaguars and the Lions. Excuse me. Let's start with Jacksonville. They were 3-14 and last season. I think it's realistic. And I think it's going to happen. They are going to get seven to eight wins this year. I think this is a team that's going to be hovering and flirting with 500 all season long. Baker's season forward is Doug Peterson. The competency, just that simple fact, the professionalism, the competency Doug Peterson is going to bring to Jacksonville, I think will dramatically change this team. Even though roster-wise, there wasn't a lot of improvement. But just subbing out, Urban Meyer... Subbing out, you know, the embarrassing, embarrassing coaching performance he put on last year through 14 games. You bring in Doug Peterson, a consummate pro who knows how to win. This to me is a guy who just by his presence alone is going to make this team a whole hell of a lot better than what we saw last year where they were a three-win team. Look, Peterson has had experience going into a messy situation and coming out on the other side successful. Even though, roster-wise and and record-wise, Chip Kelly's Eagles tenure was a success, right? That team was still in turmoil. There's a lot of chaos going on in the front office and with the roster. Doug Peterson went into Philly, brought stability, brought offensive innovation that Chip Kelly claimed to bring but really couldn't bring to fruition, and he developed the actual talent there. And year two on the job, as we know, he wins the Super Bowl. So I get, yes, in Jacksonville, That roster you got to work with now compared to what he took over in Philly. It's night and day. Philly's roster, when Doug Peterson took over in 2016, was way better, way more talented than what he's taking over in Jacksonville right now. But because he's able to develop talent, because Doug Peterson simply is not named Urban Meyer, I think that sheer presence alone is going to make this team a lot more competitive and a lot more better even, or a lot better, a lot more better. Listen to me, not even being able to talk. It's vacation, folks. I'm sorry. First time in a week and a half we're doing a show here, working out the kinks. I apologize for that. We're going to clean it up for sure, but I apologize for some of the errors that are uh, flying out here. But just the fact that the Urban Meyer is not around, I think it's going to make this team a lot better than what they were, and that's why I think it's a 7-8 win team. And I'll say this. I am very bullish, very excited about Trevor Lawrence here in year number two. If you look at last year, I think a lot of circumstances went against Trevor Lawrence and it's really almost unfair to the point where I throw out basically everything I saw last year. Look, I'm a Colts fan, so in theory, I should want the Jaguars to be bad and root for their demise. I just don't see it happening. Maybe I'm still scarred from Week 18 in Jacksonville where Trevor Lawrence and that offense tore up the Colts defense and Carson Wentz absolutely folded uh, in that game and the Colts lost out of the playoffs. But what I saw in that game, when Trevor Lawrence had time to throw, when he finally, for the first time in his NFL career, looked comfortable, this guy's a good quarterback. He makes good throws, he finds the open receiver, and he gets the offense moving. Last year, he was forced to basically be the adult in the room. As a rookie quarterback in the NFL, he was asked to be more of a leader and more mature than his own head coach think about that. Urban Meyer in his 14 games there only made life harder on Trevor Lawrence than it had to be. And life as a rookie quarterback in the NFL is impossible. That is one of the hardest things to ever do, is to start and play well as a rookie in the NFL. With so much on Trevor Lawrence's plate, outside just coaching, right? The roster's not very good. There's been a lot of turmoil in Jacksonville. The offensive line stunk, so we had no time last year. And now on top of that, you have to be the adult in the room. You basically with zero experience under your belt have to be the leader and the face of the team when your own head coach is out there making a mockery of himself and the team. That is such a huge undertaking that honestly, anything that happened on the field, I really don't, don't look into. Like this is a blank slate. And for me, Trevor Lawrence entering his rookie year in year number two. So now that he has an offensive mind... Now he has a head coach that can actually call plays that fit his strengths, you know, diversify formations to keep defenses off balance, and actually game plan with some sort of competency. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to have a big chain uh, or a big season in year number uh, in year number two, and really have a bounce back career and show everyone, oh yeah, I'm the reason why in my freshman year at Clemson, people were talking about me being the number one overall pick. I'm very excited to see what Trevor Lawrence is going to do this year. You have no more Urban Meyer worries. And for the first time in his NFL career, I know it's a short, you know, two-year career, but this is now the first time Trevor Lawrence will be able to focus just on football. That's it. Just on football is what Trevor Lawrence can focus on. That to me is going to mean he's going to be great on the field, not to mention he has some decent talent. Travis, uh, Travis Etienne is going to return right after missing all last year with an injury. James Robinson's is very solid running back. And again, for whatever reason, Urban Meyer hated him. But now, Doug Peters, I'm sure, will use him a lot better and a lot more efficiently than last year. Christian Kirk's a solid receiver, overpaid, but solid. Marvin Jones Jr., solid, reliable receiver. So you have some talent there. You have some weapons for Trevor Lawrence to throw the ball to. You have a lot of young defensive talent on the defensive side. So you look around the roster, you look around the head coach, most importantly. To me, this is a seven or eight win team this year for the Jaguars. No top five pick, no top 10 pick. This is a team that's going to be a challenge to play. They're a very young team. They're a feisty team. I think Doug Peterson is going to bring competency where this is going to be a team flirting with 500 all year, right? That's not asking a lot. This team's not going to be a playoff team. They're going to be nowhere close. And a loaded and very tough AFC. I think seven or eight wins is a massive, massive win for Jacksonville, but I don't really see many people predicting that either. Like, I think we're looking at a Jaguars team that most people right now, if you would say, hey, what do you pick? What do you think for the Jaguars this year? Three, four wins. This to me is a seven or eight win team this year. I think it's going to be surprising to many. Another team I think can win seven or eight games that would be surprising to many? The Lions. Maybe I'm a fool here for, if you want to call it buying in, on the Lions being at or near 500 this season. But I think for Dan Campbell... That'd be a massive accomplishment. And I'm drinking the Kool-Aid that he has been brewing for the last year and heading into year number two. I'm not saying this is going to be a top 10 offense. I'm not saying this is going to be a world-beating offense. But there is some good talent on this team. This Lions offense, don't look now. It's going to be, you know, it is already loaded with talent. Like, look what they have. DeAndre Swift, really solid running back. TJ Hawkinson. One of the, the best, you know, young tight ends in the NFL. Jamison Williams, the best receiver in the NFL or in the college football last year or one of the best. Now again, he's coming off of an ACL injury, so maybe it'll be a little bit slow in year number one, but he is a, a tremendous deep ball threat. DJ Chark is a professional receiver. Amon Ross St. Brian has a really good year last year. He's only developing, getting young, uh, better as a young receiver. And you have a decent old line protecting Jared Goff. Jared Goff's not great. But to his credit, I will give Jared Goff this. He got better as the year went along. He's not a world beater, but the last five games he played last year, because he missed some with injury, the last five games Jared Goff played last year, 11 touchdowns, two picks, 109 passer rating. He got better after it was a dreadful start to the year. And Detroit as a whole last year got better down the stretch of the season. Now, i know the record is not pretty they went three 13 and one the last six games they played 500 football three and three they at least were more competitive gave more spear and after starting the season whatever it was owen you know Owen 11 they showed you some fight and they showed you this is a team that you know what if you don't you know if you don't watch you if you're not you know if you do not watch out, if you are not you know if you are overlooking them or not careful they could beat you they are competitive, and that to me is what Dan Campbell is building here, and what I'm impressed with. He is establishing a culture of playing hard, and so far it's working. So when you look around in a down NFC, when you look around an NFC conference, right? That really is, I mean, honestly, outside of three teams, you're not feeling. You know, there's a lot of question marks with everyone there. Certainly not the AFC, but in a down NFC, I don't think it's crazy to say the Lions are going to go seven and you know win seven right games. I expect it. I expect it. So, and you look at it in their own division. Their own division got a lot easier. The Packers, now, look, they're still nowhere near. There's that massive wide gap between the Lions and the Packers. But, things got easier because you lose Devontae Adams. The best wide receiver in the NFL and not there anymore. That makes your life of a Lions fan a lot easier. The Vikings, look, that was a team where I know you lost both games to Minnesota last year or, I should say, excuse me, you split. You split last year um, so you already beat Minnesota once. That point differential in two games was zero. Detroit won by two and lost by two. That's pretty even. So you're already even with Minnesota in terms of head-to-head matchups. And you were swept last year by the Brown, uh, by the Bears. And I think, look, Detroit, I don't think it's a hot take here. The Lions are going to finish, I think, in third place in the NFC North. I think they are better than the Bears. I think they have a better season than the Bears. So you look at, you know, you Bare minimum split. Maybe sweep Chicago this year. But Justin Fields still trying to figure it out. New head coach. Not a lot of talent whatsoever. You lose Allen Robinson. You lose pieces on the defensive side. Khalil Mack is straighted. Excuse me. That Bears team is bad. So the Lions are, if you want to say, trending upward. The Bears trending downward. And this means a team that's going to finish in third place in the NFC North. Win 7-8 games. Flirt around five hundred for the duration of the season. I think be more, be better than I think we anticipate right now. I think it's fair to say if you pick both the Jaguars and the Lions, if I ask you right now, where do you think they're picking next year? What win total would you give them? I bet for your both answers, you'd say about four wins. Yeah, three, four wins, probably another top five, you know, pick in the draft. Try to get that quarterback. If you're the Lions and try to get another, you know, big time playmaker uh, for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think that both are going to be surprisingly better than we anticipate. So when you look at, you know, baseball having some surprise teams in the Orioles and the Mariners, who could be the Orioles and the Mariners of the NFL this season? I think it's the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Detroit Lions. Both are going to be better than we anticipate. So I think seven or eight wins is what both of these teams are going to win this season. So I'm curious your thoughts here. Who is going to be the biggest surprise in the NFL? It does not have to be just bad to good, right? It doesn't have to be bottom feeders of let's say, oh, I think the Jets are going to, you know, make the playoffs. It could be a team that's, let's say, the Raiders. Where, for I'm still picking the Raiders to finish last in the NFC uh, AFC North. I don't think the Raiders are a playoff team. Maybe you're so bullish on the Raiders that you are saying Super Bowl. I think that would surprise a lot. If you say the Raiders are in the Super Bowl this year, I think a lot of people would be surprised. So that could be a surprise team. The Vikings. Could they be in the Super Bowl in the NFC? Like Who is your... Biggest surprise this season in the NFL. i love to hear your thoughts on on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You can tweet me at Ryan Hickey Show. And also you can write on YouTube, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. When we return to wrap up the show, Jimmy Garoppolo has received permission to seek a trade from the 49ers. Is he best served staying in San Francisco this year? We'll discuss that when we return. to the Ryan Hickey show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to The Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
1: Ryan Hickey Show, back with you here on the Worldwide Sports Radio now This is the perfect rejoin here by The Clash. Should I stay... Or should I go? They were asking the question, and I'm asking the question to Jimmy Garoppolo. Should you stay or should you go? Even though Jimmy Garoppolo was granted permission yesterday by the 49ers to seek a trade and try to find a a landing spot for him to go become a starter this year, I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be traded. And I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo should want to get traded this season. I mean, the best thing for his career, right, and we know Jimmy Garoppolo's goal He wants to be a starter in the NFL. And the best best path for him to becoming a starter again in the NFL is actually by staying in San Francisco this season. I'll explain why, a few reasons. Number one, for Jimmy G to become a starter again, he needs NFL teams to want him. And here's the biggest thing with Jimmy Garoppolo. No team really wants him right now because of the fact that, yes, you can win with Jimmy G, but you can't win because of Jimmy G. NFL teams, when they are looking for quarterbacks, they want to trade a guy, sign a guy, draft a guy that they can win games because of, not in spite of. Jimmy G, for his 49ers career, for the most part, has been along for the ride, right? He's had moments, he's had games, he's had flashes. But for the most part, there's a reason why a guy who went to a Super Bowl three years ago and who has been to two NFC title games in that same three year period. There's a reason why he's on the trading block. There's a reason why the 49ers traded three first round picks to move up and draft a project in Trey Lance. They knew we can only get so high with Jimmy G. There's a ceiling and we want to get to the next level and we cannot do that with Jimmy Garoppolo as our quarterback. So Jimmy Garoppolo needs to show the other 31 teams or needs to force the other 31 teams to want him. And the best way you do that is by staying in San Francisco this year, backing up Trey Lance, and hoping an opportunity arises where he can step in and be the hero. If Trey Lance gets hurt early in the year, midway through the year, late late, uh, late in the year, Jimmy Garoppolo has the ability to step in and save the 49ers' season. If Trey Lance struggles, if he is inconsistent, up and down, and the 49ers are in jeopardy of missing the playoffs... Call me crazy. I think Kyle Shannon, if Jimmy Garoppolo's on the roster, I think Kyle Shannon would make a move. I think he would put Jimmy Garoppolo in to try to worry about making the playoffs now and worry about, you know, Trey Lance's development later. I mean, we already saw him bench Trey Lance for a year. So even though you traded three first-round picks to draft Trey Lance, there's no urgency for the 49ers to put Trey Lance on the field. So they benched him for one season already. I don't think it's crazy to say that if we're sitting here... And I don't know week thirteen or week fourteen, and the forty nine ers are at seven and you know seven and seven, six and seven. I think it's crazy to say that Kyle Shannon will pull the cord for this season, play Jimmy Garoppolo to in order to try to make the playoffs, and worry about just this season first in a week NF, uh week NFC conference. So Jimmy Garoppolo has the opportunity to become the savior, to save the forty nine ers season, and being viewed as the hero. All of a sudden, I think would make more teams inclined to trade or sign for Jimmy G next year. More importantly, signs going to be free agent. You need to have teams want you. For me, the only way that Jimmy G is going to kind of change your narrative around his career about winning with Jimmy G, not because of Jimmy G, and the way you kind of flip that narrative is by being that hero. being Coming in and saving the 49er season if Trey Lance gets hurt or is ineffective. Now, if Trey Lance is great, okay, that's a risky run and you're going to be holding the clipboard the rest of the year. Then you're going to be a free agent and you're going to basically be in the same place then that you are right now. I think there's only one team where he can come in and be that savior kind of role. It's in San Francisco. That's why I think staying in San Francisco is the best move for Jimmy G in that case. Also... There's no market for Jimmy G. There is literally zero market right now for Jimmy G's services. So even though he's received permission to seek a trade, who's trading for him? Like if you look at a few weeks ago, Baker Mayfield was on the market, right? If you compare Baker Mayfield to Jimmy Garoppolo, Baker Mayfield is a younger, cheaper, I think better option than Jimmy G. But even though Baker had that going for him, there was only two teams interested in Baker Mayfield, the Panthers and the Seahawks. Right now, the Panthers obviously now are out of the Jimmy G running because they got Baker Mayfield. The Seahawks are in division with San Francisco. I don't think you're going to be trading him to Seattle. So what teams, if they were not interested in, in Baker Mayfield, are now going to be interested, excuse me, in an older, more expensive, banged-up quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo? I don't see a market. Where's he going? You tell me right now. Where is he going that he is going to be a starter in the NFL? Right now, this season, there's no landing spot. The only hope Jimmy G has of being a starter week one this year is if Deshaun Watson is suspended for a full season. A full season. I think anything less, the Browns will roll to Brissett. Remember, when they traded for Brissett, they anticipated a Deshaun Watson suspension coming down. They knew that was more likely than not. And that's why they went out and got Brissett. Because they feel comfortable he could fill in for two, four, six, eight, ten 10 games. So for Sean Watson, and there's rumors and reports now that maybe the suspension won't be as severe as we thought. I still think it's going to be a full season. I do. If it's not, if Sue L. Robinson, the, the judge presiding over this case, decides, you know what, I'm going to give to Sean Watson 8 games. 6 games. 10 games. I think the Browns roll with Jacoby Brissett. I don't think they trade for Jimmy G. They roll with Brissett and then when... Watson is done with the suspension, he obviously comes in and plays. If he's suspended for a full season, that's where I don't think the Browns were anticipating that long of a suspension coming, and that's where I think the Browns would make a trade for for Jimmy G. So if you're Jimmy G, the only hope you have right now of being a starter in the NFL this season, outside of, you know, an unforeseen injury, which I feel like we always talk about that happening more often than it actually does. The only hope you have to be a starter this year is Deshaun Watson being suspended for an entire season. Otherwise, there's no place for Jimmy G. So you know what? You're comfortable with the system in San Francisco. You know the players. I think it just makes sense for you to stay in San Francisco, then be a free agent next year and go pick your destination. Doesn't make sense to leave San Francisco to go be a backup somewhere else if you're Jimmy G. Also, I think another reason why it makes sense for Garoppolo to stay in San Francisco, Redemption. We all love redemption stories. One of the ways Jimmy G can redeem himself is by building a stock back up. And I think one of the ways you do that is by being a good teammate. Maybe it sounds trivial in your mind. Maybe it frankly sounds dumb that no team w- would care about this. I think NFL teams would care about this. If Jimmy Garoppolo stays in San Francisco, backs up Trey Lance, and is a good backup. you know, He mentors Trey Lance, You know, helps him out, answers questions, is truly committed to to making Trey Lance the most prepared and best quarterback he could be every single week, I think teams would notice that. I think teams would recognize his leadership ability and it's easier to sell, if you're a GM, your head coach, it's easier to sell a coach to your GM or your fan base or your owner that, hey, we're bringing in a guy in Jimmy G who's a really good leader and a really good teammate. It sounds dumb. It sounds very small. But for Jimmy Garoppolo right now, there's not a lot for you to prove. We know who you are as a quarterback. There's not a lot of, you know, places for you to go to somehow turn your career around and be better than we, we think. One of the areas I think that Jimmy G could really bolster his stock is by showing he is committed to winning and committed to being a good teammate. Even if that means taking a seat or taking a step back, handing over the reins to a young, inexperienced quarterback on a team that you took to the NFC title game last year. I think teams will notice that. I think Kyle Shannon would praise him publicly all the time. John Lynch would praise him publicly all the time. In that good press, Jimmy G would receive, even though he wouldn't be playing, I think would help bolster his stock and make teams more interested in Jimmy G than they are right now in present day. So I think being a good teammate would help. Now I already forgot what I was going to say. Jeez, it is. You could tell vacation has really hit hard. My apologies. The lack of market for Jimmy Garoppolo and the fact that he has a chance to play the hero card In San Francisco is the reason why I think it's better, Jimmy G is better off staying in San Francisco than he is getting traded somewhere else. And finally, we've seen a backup reemergence in the NFL. There's now a pipeline of backup quarterbacks going from backup to starter. You've seen that more than really ever in the NFL. Look at Mitch Trubisky, backup in Buffalo last year. The Bills raved about him. Now he's a starter in Pittsburgh. Jameis Winston, backup in New Orleans, took over Drew Brees when he left. Marcus Mariota, backup to Derek Carr last year in Las Vegas. Now he's a starter in Atlanta. Ryan Tannehill, backup to Marcus Mariota in Tennessee, took over that job halfway through. He's not giving it back. There's now a a pattern, although small, but a pattern and an opportunity for Jimmy Garoppolo to be a backup this year and then get a starting job next year. It's not impossible. It's like once you're a backup, you're a backup for life. We've now seen the changeover from backup to starter happen more often and be more frequent. So with it being more accepted, with the NFL being a copycat league, it's not crazy to say, oh, we're going to take Jimmy Garoppolo as a backup last year and make him our starter this year. We've seen it happen now multiple times, and I think that's just another reason why if you're Jimmy G, it makes sense to stay in San Francisco. It's not impossible for you to get a starting job next year if you're a backup this year. Mentor trade lines. And, you know, see what happens with Freedity next year. So if you're Jimmy G, I don't think you want to trade. I think the best path for Jimmy G to becoming a starter in the NFL is actually sticking in San Francisco. You have a chance to be the hero in San Francisco where you couldn't be anywhere else if Trey Lance struggles or gets hurt to save their season and bring the 49ers to the playoffs. You have the ability to show you're a good teammate by mentoring Trey Lance, by putting the team first over you. And even though this is your team last year, if you stick in San Francisco, if you have mentor trade lands, if you're a good backup and a good teammate and have him prepared, I think that will do wonders for Jimmy G's stock. Let's also call for what it is. There is zero market right now for Jimmy G. So even if you want to get traded, you need another team to trade for you. Right now, there's no team that's interested in Jimmy Garoppolo. And finally, we have seen a, a pattern and a pipeline of backup quarterbacks being a backup one year and the start of the next year. So it's not, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is not in Alcatraz if he's the backup in San Francisco this year, that doesn't mean he's. it's impossible for him to get a starting job next year. So when you add it all up, to me, it makes the most sense for Jimmy G to stay in San Francisco this season. The best path for him to be a starter next year in 2023, because it's not going to happen in 2022. And the best path for him being a starter, the best way to build his stock back up and to make teams want him next year is by staying with the 49ers, backing up Trey Lance, and doing a great job doing so. That, to me, is why I think Jimmy G's making a mistake here and trying to seek a trade and get off the 49ers. So that'll do it for this edition of the Ryan Hickey Show right here on Thursday. We are scheduled to be back next Thursday. That is pending. I think I might be filling in on CBS Sports Radio, but we'll, we'll confirm that. Oh, excuse me here. And keep you updated, of course, throughout the week. But from now until then, have a great, great weekend. As always, stay safe, stay safe, and we'll talk to you right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.